well, I'm glad to be here. At my age, I'm glad to be anywhere. Well, my wife sent me a little video. Her and Tressa went to Taco Bell, had a real expensive lunch, and she she said, I haven't been gone long enough, stay a little while. <laughs> oh, man! I'm at a church preaching. There's a woman who's a sourpuss in the audience. I preached Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. This woman never cracked a smile. If she would have, her face would have cracked. I'm not kidding you. She was weaned on a pickle. And it, it just, I'm telling you, the most dour, oh, my goodness. And at the end of the last service, I'm shaking hands at the door, and my wife is standing beside me, and the lady walking out says, I just have one question, and she's directing it to my wife. She hasn't spoken to me the whole week. And she says, what kind of sin were you in that God cursed you with that the rest of your life? <laughs> well, my wife has a better sense of humor than me, and she just said, oh, yeah, I was backslidden bad. I was in deep... <laughs> I was in deep sin, she said. And of course, from that time till now, whenever I get on my high horse or I complain about something or anything, she throws that in my face. You know, if I wouldn't have been backslidden bad, I wouldn't have had to put up with the likes of you the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, I had it coming. Um, so... I always tell the joke to the pianist, hey, do you know why real good pianists never use this finger? And then they look at me and I say, because it's mine. Yeah. They, they use their own finger. So, of course, your pianist, Mrs. Mueller, I said to her, hey, do you know, she says, you told me that last year. You're going to have to get some new piano, piano jokes. <laughs> so, so, what do you get if you have a piano fall on a helicopter, A flat, flat major? Or if it falls down a mine shaft, A flat minor? Why did Beethoven kill all of his chickens? Because they kept saying, bok, bok, bok. The girl goes off to college. Her mom had gotten a piano. She was going to miss her daughter, so she's learning to play the piano. And the daughter calls back from college after a few weeks and said, hey, how's mom doing on the piano? And the husband said, well, Edson, I, I got her a saxophone instead. And she said, well, why did, why did you do that? He says, because she can't sing along with us. <laughs> Um, Judges 14, Judges 14. Preaching tonight, and really of all the nights, all of the services, uh, just telling you plainly, this 
is more teaching than preaching. I'm preaching toward a decision, but it's a little bit of a long road to a small house. And that small house is simply this. Clean up your companions. Make sure who you have for friends. There's an old adage, you will be the same as you are today, one year from now, except for the people you meet and the books you read. You'll be the same person you are now, one year from today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. The what you feed your mind, what you hang around with. You remember, Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. Talk to any parent. Now, I have six children, and they're all the way from, what? I've got to subtract. We've been married 47 years, so 45 down to 36 are our kids. And can I tell you, there's nothing that had as profound an effect upon them as their choice of companions when they got into adulthood. That had more influence on them, their character, their behavior, their conduct, their associations, their activities, like their friends. And the Bible has a lot to say about having the right friends, and choosing the right companions and who you hang out with. And we're going to use the illustration of Samson and then look at some Bible imperatives and we're going to go home. And so I make no bones about it. I, I don't believe everything in the Bible is just this big, exciting, but much of the Bible is practical, applicable, truth that gets lived out not at an altar but in a home in a day-to-day choice and so i really want to uh, uh i want to almost say apologize but not really because i think what we're doing here is real important turn your bibles to judges chapter 14 what do you know about samson Well, it's during the time of Judges, right? The children of Israel, it's obviously kind of an apostate age. They, they are not going to listen to God. They're not going to listen to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then they demand a king in First Samuel, and by the time you get to the book of Judges, they're just doing whatever they feel like, right? It's, it's a time of great compromise and apostasy and... There's different uh, people that are raised up to lead Israel, but it's down to sometimes, you know, hey, uh, you end up with a woman leading the nation and all that stuff, and I'm not against women, but, you know, that was never the plan of God in the first place. That just wasn't what it was supposed to be. So they're under judgment, but I want to talk about this guy named Samson. We won't... uh, Look in depth, I'm sure you're acquainted with the story. And while uh, I want to just uh, first take a look at Judges 14 and verse number 1. Here it says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman of Timnath 
of the daughters of the Philistines. Hear me? Where you go, the people you meet, your eye affects your heart. Whenever somebody says to me, Brother King, I'll tell you what, I don't believe in dating. I believe in arranged marriages. I believe in God just, the parents set it up and they just get married because we get married the Bible way. And I go, well, you know, not every marriage in the Bible was exactly like that. Uh, He went and got a bride for Isaac and brought her back and he never met her till they got married and Samson goes down to Timnath and he sees, I see a woman, she pleases me, get her for me. That's a Bible way of getting married. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, listen, uh, not everything is quite as idyllic and perfect as you might <laughs> like it to be, but just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. Right? right? <laughs> Even the worst of us can be used for a bad example. And uh, he came up and told his father, verse 2, and his mother, he said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Hey, you, what do they say? Hard to soar with eagles when you work with turkeys. Right? right. Hey, you put yourself in that circumstance and... Uh, It isn't long before you start finding your heart going toward the wrong thing. And this was obviously the wrong thing. His father and mother said, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Hey, hey. I'm reminded of the guy who married a girl after living a loose life and on their honeymoon he kind of rebuked her and said, you know, you don't kiss as good as other girls. And she slapped him and said, that's for knowing the difference. Right? The truth is, the more they play around the more they shack up with one another, the more they try one another on for size, each step diminishes the chance that they're going to have a successful and happy and fulfilled marriage. It doesn't make it more likely for them to be happy. It makes it less likely. They're, they're cutting themselves off at the knees every step they take. Nobody, nobody, nobody that's ever righteous and godly says, Boy, I'm really proud of all that stuff. I learn by experience. Yeah, experience is the best teacher if you're too stupid to learn from somebody who's been there. You're going to learn it from the scriptures or you're going to learn it from the scars, but you're going to learn it one way or another. Here, he says, hey, I see this woman. She pleases me. What's the son telling his parents what to do in the first place? Right? But he's an adult. Hey, she pleases me well. Get her for me. Uh, 
Notice, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. This is going to all work out. You understand, in the big picture, you can do something wrong and God can still get the glory, get beauty for ashes. And they intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, right? And so look on down, Judges chapter 15 in the early part. But it came to pass... Within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid and said, I will go into my wife into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hast utterly hated her, therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of... What kind of sordid mess... Right? I'm saying, and I, again, I'm just using this as an example. You start down the wrong path, you might not like where that goes at the end of things. And get over to chapter 16. The end of all of this. Then went Samson, verse 1, to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. See? You, you see the the descent I'm saying? Hey, I oh, I think I like that. No, it's not of my people. No, it's a it's a Jehovah Witness. But I mean, hey, look at that body. But if you go shopping with that, if that's what it takes to keep you make you happy, wow. Women know this inherently. The best they will ever look is the day they got married. Hey, the flower of youth, the perfect ten body, the everybody looking and ooing and eyeing, the husband up front crying, look at that, that's all mine. But women face declining value. And ten years later, four kids later, three surgeries later, right? Diminishing good husbands know how to make up for that and reassure her, I love you in this many ways. I appreciate you for this many more things. I find you more attractive today than I did the day we were married. She still needs a reassurance. My wife looks the same as she did 30 years ago, but she spends a lot more time in front of the mirror. <laughs> hey, if the barn needs painting, paint it, right? <laughs> but I'm saying, if it takes the flesh to please you, it'll always take the flesh to please you. And ladies, if you go shopping, the old saying, if you don't have something to sell or give away, quit advertising. And quit advertising. You say, well, I, I showed all of my female charms and I let him have his way with me and I won him and he married me. Well, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked when you get into marriage and he wants more of that. 
and he introduces pornography into the bedroom, or he suggests wife shopping, or he says, hey, I find somebody else more attractive. And you go, oh, look, you knew what you went fishing with to get him. And now that's what it takes to make him happy. Hear me. This, this is so profound. First he goes down. What's he doing down in Timnath? What's he doing hanging around by the Philistines? What's he? And then pretty soon you, okay, I got her. But now her dad gives her to a different guy. And hey, try my younger sister. Her, her younger sister. Really? Then it's, hey, I, I see a harlot. Shocking! Shocking! Now that's, no, it's not a surprise at all. This is what you get when you start going down that road and you see nothing wrong with what you would have abhorred and say, I, could, I would never get, I would never descend to that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you'd be surprised. You start making wrong choices. Accommodation leads to accommodation that leads to accommodation and where you end up will shock you if you keep compromising. Now, you say, well, Brother King, aren't all your friends sinners? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But iron sharpeneth iron. And I try, I talked to two pastors this afternoon. Hey, I prayed for you today. How'd your services go? What did you preach on? Do you have a sermon outline for me tonight? Uh, hey. Right, right. I'm saying it's always buying and selling outlines, you know. And uh, Hey. I care who I hang out with. I talked to two women today, my wife and my daughter. Right? I mean, I make choices about who. You say, well, at 67, you don't, or 68, what am I, 69? Just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's no fire in the fireplace. I still have a body of flesh hung around my soul that's capable of every evil thing that anybody could have. Last October, a 74-year-old pastor in Wisconsin that I preached for the last five years in a row, his son-in-law calls me and says, Hey, Brother King, you've been a friend to our church. Do you, do you think you know somebody who could come and pastor our church? Our, my father-in-law resigned. Really? Where is he going? To jail. Oh, to jail. Yeah, yeah, he... Uh, he... A nine-year-old girl? Whose parents had taken her aside and said, Listen, you're getting older now and you're about to go through the puberty and we want to explain the facts of life and how you can't allow anybody to touch you in any impure way. And they're explaining it to her and they, she goes, Oh, well, the pastor does that to me every week. Hey, hey. You say, not a pastor, not a guy 74. You know what I get to deal with? 
on the muddy end of the stream. He had no retirement. They had $30,000 worth of equity in the house. The pastor sold the house, took the $30,000, and hired an attorney to defend him. Hey, he's not getting out of this. He's going to jail and left his wife penniless. You say, don't tell me anybody could do that. Can I promise you it didn't start? It did not start down here. This is the muddy end of the stream. I don't trust nobody. I don't trust you. I don't trust me. Anybody that's got a body of flesh hung around their soul is capable of the most wicked, dastardly things. Romans chapter 9 says, The world groaneth and travaileth until now, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. When Paul said in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I got a redeemed soul and spirit, but I don't have a new body yet. And I want to be delivered from the very presence of sin someday. I've had in my pews murderers, homosexuals, prostitutes, child molesters. Sat right there. And if you didn't know what I know, you'd never believe what actually takes place. And I'm saying to you, when I preach on this, I'm keenly aware that what looks like this wasn't such a big choice. I know where it goes. I know where it leads. I'm a lot more aware and alerted to how important the early choices are to where this ends. The kid starts hanging out when he's 17 years old with a couple kids that smoke. And now he starts smoking, and now it's in the taverns, and now he doesn't want to go to the father-son outing because he can't go three days without a cigarette. Right? It didn't start out there. It ended up there. It's always that way. When I say we live on the muddy end of the stream, you get a lot more gumption to preach on this after you've seen the broken lives down at the bottom enough times to where you say, hey, if I can even protect one person from ever doing this, I want to do it. <clears throat> i got to tell you, Samson's just the example of it. This is what happens when you operate in the flesh. This is what happens when you don't have spiritual discretion and discernment. This is what happens when you start making careless choices. So, here we have some admonitions, and we're just going to go through a few of these and then uh, beat the Methodist to the restaurant or whatever we're doing. But um, Proverbs 22 and verse 34. We're just going to look at a few verses tonight, and I hope it'll be I hope to you. David said in Psalm 119, I'm a companion of all them that fear thee. There's lots and lots of good people that you can have for friends and influence and companionship. Usually you'll find them in good Bible-believing churches. But while here, 
Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. The first caution that will usher his uh, issue tonight is, hey, don't make friends with an angry man. You know why that is? People who are furious men, people who are angry men, listen, when they were little, when they were little, they didn't, they, they would get, have a temper tantrum, they'd kick the slats out of their crib, and they got by with it. They didn't like the Cheerios on their bowl, and they shove it off on the floor, off the tray of their little high chair, and they got by with it. They went to the grocery store, and they wanted a candy bar, and mom wouldn't give it to them, so they throw themselves on the floor and scream and yell. And mom goes, oh, 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 here, oh, uh, oh, here, here, you can have it. That is learned behavior. And then you marry him, if you're a woman, or you make him your friend, and he don't get his way. You know how he responds? Oh, you didn't make what I wanted. He slams the cupboard doors. He slams the He, I'm not talking. He, what do they say, transfer of aggression? He yells at the kid. The kid kicks the cat. The cat runs over and, right? Listen, go not in the way with an angry man, with a furious man, thou shalt not go. You know Why? Because they are throwing their little temper tantrums. If you accused them of being infantile, they'd deny it. But the God on his truth is just the outworking of being a spoiled brat their whole life. Let somebody else marry them. Don't you be subjected to fear and trembling and quivering whenever that orangutan, ooh, what if he ever... Hey, listen, I have zero respect for a man that will strike a woman. We had a guy in our church. You must think we have the worst church in the world. And <laughs> you know, I pastored for all 42 years, and we got all these champion Christians that are buying a half of beef and putting it in somebody's freezer anonymously and all that. But what stands out, you know, when I'm thinking about it is these failures that end up being outstanding examples this guy he doesn't like something his wife did and so he slapped her shoved her down the steps she goes down this all the way to the bottom of the stairs breaks her arm bloody and bruised hauled to the hospital they take pictures they ask her what happened and wow she says well my husband shoved me down the stairs and so I get to go visit him in jail. That's what I'm talking about, me living on the muddy end of the stream, right? They never include me at the beginning of stuff. They don't talk to me when they kiss the first time. They don't talk to me when they're in the back seat of the car. They talk to me when they're pregnant out of wedlock, right? I'm always on that end. So I'm, I meet with them. Bill, did you honestly punch your wife in the face and shove her down the steps? Yes, I did. I said, well, what? I mean, I'm sitting across the window from him, you know. I mean, he's...
I'll tell you why. Because she pushed my buttons. She knows how to push my buttons. She knows how to get my goat. She provoked me, and that's what she gets when she does that. And I said, really? I said, well, what did she... She called me names. I said, well, just tell me the names. And I'm writing down... Uh, well, what did she say? Well, she said that I was no good, and she's so I'm writing it down. I said, "Well, let me try it," and then I read them back to him. Bill, you're no good. Bill, you're lazy. Bill, I don't respect you. Bill, I said, "Hey, look at this. You somehow found it within yourself not to punch me. Somehow you had the capacity not to shove me down the steps." If Reggie White said these things to you, would you do that? Would you? Well, no, I'm not going to do it to Reggie White. I said, what you're saying is you can control your anger. You have the capacity to deny your emotion. You have the ability to restrain yourself. Discipline all through youth is meant to bring about self-discipline and character. And when they lack the discipline in youth, then they somehow excuse wrong behavior in adulthood. Go not in the way with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. You don't want to learn his ways. You don't want to learn his snares. You want to be around that kind of person. My brother was, I don't know, do you guys have carp runs in the, in the streams here? In our, in our area... Carp are, you know, a waste fish, and, and they, they ruin the good fishing. And so in the spring, when they go up to spawn in the smaller streams, it's common for, for permission to go in what they call uh, spear and get out the, the rough fish. And they grind them up for dog food and all that stuff. But, wow, my brother is there with a mental midget. See, I know nice ways to say it. I know. <laughs> but of course, it's common that during this spawning run in the spring that there's also northern pike coming up to spawn. There's also other species of fish coming up. And when you see a great big fish and you got a spear in your hand and... It's illegal to harvest them like that. You can only do it with hick and line, right? Well, Num Num, not his real name. Is a hundred feet downstream and sees the big northern and spears it behind the head and takes it to the trunk of my brother's car because they had gone there together. And of course, the DNR, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, they know this is where people are getting fish out and they're sitting in back and they're watching through their binoculars and they can tell the difference between a northern pike. Right? He didn't just throw this up on the bank. He took it to the trunk of the car. So he meanders down and says to Spit for Brains, Hey, uh, 
Uh, open up your trunk. No, it's my brother's car. He don't. My brother comes over. What, what's going on? And the guy yells, Run, Ralph, it's the cops! Run, run, it's the cops! So now, no, my brother is face down with a DNR agent with his pistol pill, got his knee in his back, and he calls me later, he says, Randy, you are not going to believe. <laughs> I took Mark spearfishing with me, and now we got... The fish is in my car. It's a $600 fine, and I lose my fishing license for a year, and all because of this stooge <laughs> in Christian love. <laughs> Why would you yell, Run, Ralph, it's the cops! Go not in the way with an angry man, with a furious man thou shalt not go. Look with me, James 4, 4, again, a passage that you'll know. These are just common passages, but when you kind of put them together, you realize uh, all in one spot, you know, the Lord cares about our choice with who we're going to hang out with and what we're going to do. Verse 4 of chapter 4 of the book of James Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Hey, you can't hang out with a bunch of worldlings. It's not long before they say, throw in your lot with us. Let's go here. Let's do that. Let's go. I Look, Christians have been caught in strip clubs and porno shops and, and places you'd say, well, they wouldn't go there. They wouldn't ordinarily go there, but they care about having friends. They have influences, companions, activities that lead them into things. Hey, I signed up for softball! And it's a tradition, you know, if you hit a double, they have a keg of beer there, and you got to drink a 24-ounce glass of beer on second base. Before the next pitch is thrown, that's what they do in our league. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong inherently with playing baseball. Right? But when you put Jack's Bar t-shirt on, right? Now you've made a choice, and where that ends, you lose your testimony, you lose your self-respect, you lose your... Wife, your job, your driver's license, and your freedom, and you go, I just don't understand how this happened. I'll tell you how it happened. You made a choice back there. You didn't follow the Bible back there. You start to blend in with the world, and pretty soon you look and spell and act like them. I heard a guy preach a message. We live in Babylon. We dress like Babylon. We act like Babylon. And we're called to turn the world upside down, not to conform to the world. 
There's another passage, look with me if you will, to Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. It's a thick book, isn't it? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be what? Destroyed. Don't don't be a companion of fools. You know, uh, there's again another friend we had. He was a neighbor. And he went to school. He was in our class, and we had in the in in our area before there was the age of no-till farming. We had red clay and black peat and nice loamy soil and everything in between the highland and the lowland, the marshland. And in the fall, when you harvest by us. You better do your tillage in the fall because if you try to go in the spring and do it, when it's wet, you compact the soil and then you don't get very good crops. Whereas if you do it in the fall, you have the freezing and thawing. Our frost averages three foot deep. And so the freezing and thawing breaks up that hard pan. And if you don't have to take the heavy equipment over it in the the spring, why you can grow much better crops. It's just a a prudent thing to do your tillage in the fall. Well, we had an unusually wet fall. And while rainy, 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 we barely got the crops off. In our lowest 40 acres, we happened to have a cornfield there that year, and it was so wet. You know, they say too wet to plow. Those of you that, you know, I mean, hey, There was no way. And my dad says, look, before we put the tractor and plow away, what we'll do is we'll we'll wait until after Thanksgiving, and we'll wait for the first frost, and we'll let it freeze the top inch or two. And then we'll have kind of a, strong surface on the top that'll support the tractor but we'll still be able to go and plow and get that plowed this fall so we wait for the weather to turn and wow don't you know hey it's going to go from 30 degrees down to 8 below zero it's going to stay frozen that cold for two weeks and my dad says all right guys We're going to plow 24 straight hours. We're going to get this 40 done. We got to wait till it's got a frozen crust on the top. Some of us will milk cows and do the chores, and one of us will plow, and then we'll get a little sleep and come down and relieve you. But we're going to run that till we get that bottom 40 plowed. If we wait till the end of the weekend, we are never going to get this plowed 
Well, of course, the tractor can't plow 24 hours. You got a diesel tractor that will not start if it doesn't have a heater plug or whatever, but once it's running, it's running, right? So while we plow, we get a third of it done. I take the tractor up, I fill it with fuel. My brother goes down to plow the next, and wow, he doesn't get two rows, two passes, and the tractor quits. And so wow, we crack the, those of you that are diesel people, you know the injectors. I mean, hey, do we have fuel here? And we don't. Now, it is zero degrees, and we are a long way from the barn, and we don't have fuel at the injectors. Well, hey, hey, uh, no choice but to run up and get a change of filters, diesel filters, you know, real fine filters, Assuming that the pump is working, then it's got to be clogged fuel. So we got a set of filters. This is Saturday night, midnight. And we go down. Can I tell you, if you've ever bled a diesel tractor with fuel on your fingers when it's that cold, put new filters on, Hand prime it, crack the lines till fuel comes out, shut them, shut them, shut them, get on, start the tractor, make a couple passes. Can I tell you how happy my dad was that we had to do this? We're under pressure. Plows down, comes back, and boom, the tractor stops dead again. Only now we don't have another set of filters. And the dealership is not open. And the plow is fastened to the tractor, and we have no way, we don't have another big tractor that can just drag this out of there. It's stuck. And the plow is freezing in. Run back up, get Dad, hey... Well, we got a, you know, we don't have a tractor big enough to do this. We have to leave it freeze in. Oh, I can't tell you how wonderful this is. The next day, we milk cows. It's Sunday. Dad calls the owner of the dealership. Could we at least come get some filters? We'd, we'd like to... He opens up, gets his filters, comes wheeling back into the driveway just as our friend pulls in. Hey, you guys, did you get that plowing done? Nope, we didn't. Had some trouble. Really? Well, you know, I came over last night when you guys were milking. Uh, you know... My grandparents used to live in a trailer house on our on our place, and wow, uh, we were kind of cleaning that up. And there they had a diesel fuel tank, and they 
you know, they've been gone for 30 years, but that the diesel fuel tank, it still had 15 gallons of fuel in it. And we, I, I put it in, I put it in some five-gallon pails, and while you guys were milking, I put it in your tractor. Now, my father was mad before this. We're not saved. And my dad said, you take that SOB down in the marsh and shoot him in the head. That's what he said. And that was the kindest thing he could say. (laughs) Some people don't have the sense to come in out of the rain. Some people... A companion of fools will be destroyed. You, you hang around that kind of people, you make them your friends, it will be no end of unmitigated grief. You have no idea where that leads to. You couldn't make this up if your life depended on it. Who you choose. Uh, are, you, are you kidding me? You don't have, you don't know that 30-year-old diesel fuel that's been in a 250-gallon tank isn't full of water. You don't know that it's in a flaky, rusty tank that it doesn't have. You dump it right in our tractor without a filter in the funnel. And and the guy says, you should be thanking me. I, I give you 15 gallons of diesel. Oh, yeah. Crippled too high for crutches is the saying we have. Where he's broke, crutches don't go that high. Proverbs 28, 7. If you slip over there. It would be a lot funnier if it wasn't true, but this is true. Proverbs 28, 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. You know, every one of us knows some hoodlums or some troublemakers or some three-time losers or some high school dropouts who just foment riot and ruin. Trouble follows them all the time. It might be that it's someone you feel sorry for. It might be, there's always been this certain image of, hey, we kind of worship the bad boy. Oh, look what he said. Look at how brave he was. Look at how... Uh, if you ever, uh, old-time movies, a lot of times the rebellious guy was the one that everybody was secretly cheering for because he'd stand up and he'd demand this and he'd say this. But after a while, when you start hanging out with riotous people, pretty soon you get splashed with it. Pretty soon you get involved with it. Pretty soon you're soiled by it. 
And pretty soon, their same disrespect for authority becomes your disrespect for authority. I was raised as a farm kid, and while we, by the time we got to be 16, we got our driver's license. I wasn't saved till I was 18. And while we thought it was cool on the weekends to go in and... Friday night, there was the park dance, and so at the local park, they'd have a rock band playing, and we'd go and hang out, and there was an ice cream place nearby, and we'd get ice cream, and we'd go, and we'd dance, and now we weren't drinking, we didn't have, but the park dance, Friday nights, wow, and we would be shopping for girls, well, of course, these farm kids from 20 miles out, they're in town, and we don't know how things go. And one, one day, we're there, and it's me and my brother and our best friend, and we're there at the dance, and we're just kind of wallflowers watching because, you know, farm guys, they're social retards, and the, we're just, you know, watching around. And in comes these six or seven guys, Long, greasy hair. Every one of them, I find out later, is a high school dropout. We're out in an outdoor park pavilion. I watch a guy in this group walk over to a car and kick the antenna and break it off. And he came in, and there was a guy dancing with a girl that he liked. And he came up from behind that guy with that antenna and started whipping him in the sides of the head and the face. And then his friends knocked the guy over, and he sat there and whipped him in the face and the chest with that antenna. Now, the antennas in those days had that knob on the end. Can I tell you, he was laced in blood in a heartbeat. Now, there's three of us, there's eight of them. This isn't our fight. I don't know what, what I mean, truthfully, we didn't intervene in any way. And those guys walked out. Of course, the band quits playing. The dance breaks up. The guys lay in there. Go not in the way with riotous men. Later, 30 years later, the guy who did that got saved. I baptized him, joined our church. Serving the Lord today as a 70-year-old in Valdosta, Georgia. When they get saved, you know, God can save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. But I'm saying, choosing companions, who you hang out with, who you emulate, who you lionize, who you think is so special. You all... Many of you may have seen the movie Cool Hand Luke and Paul Newman, and he specialized in bad boy roles. But everybody secretly cheers for the rebel. Our culture promotes that. 
And I, now, right now, I mean, I'm just, you know me. This is an aside. This isn't my sermon. But this is just in my thinking, okay? This is a parenthesis. I'm so sick of hearing about people's journeys. Everybody I talk to has got a journey. Oh, Pastor King, if you knew. I mean, we were in a church, but that pastor ran off with the checkbook. Oh, Pastor, I was married to a girl, but she disappointed me. Oh, if you only knew my journey. And in my heart, I have great self-discipline. I try not to display any emotion on the outside. But I'm really going, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> I don't care about your journey. I'm not odd with your journey. Everybody's got a journey. Everybody's been soiled. Everybody's been offended. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been neglected. <laughs> Tell me about your obedience. Tell me where you were conformed to the image of Christ. Tell me what you did to abide in Christ. Tell me what you did to obey the commandments of God. Don't tell me about everybody who's disappointed you. Don't tell me about everybody who's failed you. Don't tell me about... Look, I have stories. I can tell you all the stories of people that failed me. I make choices. I don't let that defeat me. The old... I have a twin brother. They always say... He was raised as an only child, which really bothered his brother. <laughs> we have stories. Hey, don't just because they've been offended or hurt or neglected or they have excuses, don't be attracted to the loser with excuses. It goes on. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-four. if you'll slip just down to there. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith, it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. I, I really believe our young people need to see this, where this goes, it does not end well. Verse, turn to Second Thessalonians three. I gotta quit. I could tell you stories forever, but Second Thessalonians three. My wife said, "Randy, you should write a book of the stuff that's happened to you." But they would put it in the fiction section of the library. Nobody would believe that this stuff happens to one person, but it does. It did. If you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse number 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Hey, make choices. Who are you going to hang with? Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to... Uh, spend your time with? Who are you going to emulate? 1 Corinthians 5. It says not to be a companion of fornicators. 
Because if you were going to avoid all fornicators, you'd have to go out of the world. The world is full of them, right? But here in 1 Corinthians, in verse 11 of chapter 5, Now I've written, but now I've written unto you, verse 11, not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Our young people need to see this. If a girl that comes to this church unfortunately, unwisely, carnally gets pregnant out of wedlock, they shouldn't automatically say, well, sh- oh, that's special. Let's have, a f- let's have a baby shower for her. Isn't it cool? She shouldn't become the center of attention. The Bible says, have no fellowship with them. Till they repent, till they apologize, till they're back on the right path, don't make their carnal sin the center of your attention. Oh, yes, in Christian love we accept and forgive and welcome anybody. Yes, but the unrepentant will hurt you. I tell people all the time, if I get a a boy up here and I stand him on this chair and I surround him with five people and everybody grabs his hand and he grabs all their hand, is it easier for him to pull all of them up onto the chair or for them to pull him down off of the chair? Right? Right? You make choices. Your associations, your activities, your whereabouts. You can tell a lot about a young person by their choice of who they want to hang with. And a lot of times when they're in our kind of churches, it doesn't manifest itself till they're 16, 17, 18, and 19. And the parents can issue every caution. The parents can say, wow, I'm really concerned. Hey, I don't... Yeah. This guy is a three-time convicted axe murderer and he's your best friend? <laughs> well, who are you to tell me? It, it's not me. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. A companion of fools will be destroyed. We find it in Samson's example in James 2.23, and we'll close with this. Thank you for being so patient. There's a big part of me that still has a pastor's heart that wants to protect a flock when I see danger on every corner. James 2, talking about Abraham in the scripture, verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That's what I found. Those that fear the Lord, love the Lord, want to please the Lord, all these other decisions come real easy. It's almost like you got a staples button right there. Hey, do you want to go get drunk? Eh, nope, that was easy. I decided not to be like that. Hey, you want to go here with me? Eh, nope, that was easy. I made that choice a long time ago. 
That's not going to be me. What a blessing to know that God will honor. If you have nobody else, you can be a friend of God. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so concerned, not just for the young people, for each one here, that they would find their best friends at church, a companion of all them that fear thee, that they'd find their activities, that they'd find their commitments, they'd find their priorities with the people of God. Lord, I pray you'd protect them from angry men, furious men, rebellious men, foolish men. Lord, Samson said, I saw a woman of the Philistines. She pleases me. Get her for me. God, would you deliver us from that selfish, short-sighted, carnal, and worldly approach to relationships. Lord, I pray for each one of the parents here who has a wayward child, a son or daughter. They tried to be a good example. They tried to raise and train them right, and the children still in adulthood made wrong choices. Help them to know that we're not condemning or criticizing in any way. But Lord, help us never compromise what we know to be the truth. When they do repent, when the prodigal does return, may he come back to something steadfast and as certain as it was when they left. And God, I pray that you would protect these young people. Thank you for the investment of their parents and their pastor and their church and every Sunday school teacher. But Lord, there's a brave new world just outside the doors. And while not everybody's wicked, there are plenty of people who would lead them down the wrong path. Help them to make wise choices. Help it to be their own choice. And Lord, help it to be where they make that choice. In church, at camp, in a revival, in counseling, in their bedroom with their parents. So that they're not tempted They're not misled, so they're not a casualty to the cause of Christ. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder who would just say tonight, Pastor King, I need this reminder that who I choose for companions is going to make a big difference in my life God spoke into my heart tonight. Would you just slip your hand up? I need the reminder to make right choices with my companions. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, young people and so many others. God bless you. And then you're here tonight and you say, Pastor King, there's someone I dearly love. Maybe a mate. Maybe a child. Maybe a former member who fell prey to wrong associations, wrong influences, wrong companions, and today they're not walking with Christ. And my prayer is for someone specific tonight that the devil has captured 
And right now, right now, they're not walking with Christ, not even sure they're saved. And my heart's burdened for one like that. Would you just slip your hand up? It's a family member. It's a church member. It's a child. Is there one? God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious folks. Lord, would you help them to be regalvanized in standing for the truth, following the Bible, obeying the scriptures, pleasing Christ. And Lord, may you work in the hearts of those who've made wrong choices. May we who still have children and grandchildren that we can impact, may we be a good example, a good influence, and an admonition, a rebuke, a warning, a testimony that they should make right choices. We need your help for it. God, please, please do what only you can do. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed,